Welcome to Propel, Allen and Overy's monthly podcast addressing all things related to self-driving vehicles. Today, we are joined by Sherrod Argawal from EasyMile, a leader in autonomous vehicle technology focused on commercial passenger vehicles and material handling, and are changing the way people move and do business around the world. Its technology is even being used to address some of the challenges brought on by the global pandemic. Earlier this summer, EasyMile worked with the city of Westminster, Colorado, to launch that city's first autonomous vehicle to deliver food to a local food pantry. And just last month, as some COVID-19 restrictions eased in Europe, Easy Miles minibuses were deployed in Mannheim, Germany, using deep learning to understand the old town streets with the aim of integrating autonomous solutions into existing traffic systems. Gerard, a senior vice president at Easy Mile, has 15 years experience in the transportation industry, ranging from executive roles in public transit and private for hire services. And he's here to talk about Easy Mile, the impact the pandemic has had on it in the industry, and to walk us through the state of the technology as well as the revolutionary driverless world to come. Gerard, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here. So tell us more about EasyMile and its technology and what it's up to. Absolutely. And I appreciate the introduction about the company. You did a great job of really summarizing what we do. Ultimately, EasyMile is one of the leaders in autonomous vehicle software uh, that's being focused primarily on what we call sub 30 mile an hour environments with, with two different pillars. One being the passenger space, where we're focused right now a lot on corporate transportation, um, national parks, amusement centers, things that things that are that you would expect to have short distances and lower speeds. And then also on the material handling side, places like airports and factories where we can move large goods autonomously. We, we are a very specific segment of the autonomous industry, but one that we also feel will be the first to get to the driverless space based on that, we know exactly where the vehicles will be traveling to. So I'd love to get into some more details about each of those pillars in just a moment. We are doing this broadcast, of course, during a global pandemic. And so very curious about how COVID-19 has impacted you and your company, and as well as your thoughts about how it's impacted the industry more generally. Can you walk us through that? Certainly. So starting with Easy Mile specifically, clearly the U.S. market has been a challenge. We've had a number of projects that have ended earlier than expected. Uh, governments are realigning where their, their money is going to support the situation that's here today. Same in Europe. We've had some slowdowns in that space, but they've been recovering a bit faster than here in the U.S. So definitely where we're at in the industry, which is a lot of demonstration, some really supported uh, subsidized government projects, those have been affected by the pandemic just because the, the governments are reallocating where the funds are, are headed. I think the industry overall, it has been very public and tech in general, that there's been a number of layoffs in the space that will potentially put industry behind just a bit, um, maybe six months to a year behind in the technology race. But I think overall, since we were still looking at it, the target was still a couple of years out, the end goal could be fairly the same. That's interesting. You're highlighting some of the negative impacts. Have there been any positives? What we've learned in the last six months is the dependence on movements of people is quite high. We've seen some, especially on the airport side, that is there a better way to move people and goods without the dependency of drivers based on if this happened again. So we have seen some positive interest from that, that automation should be a bigger part of the, the future roadmap because of, of what happened with the pandemic. Amazing how this the social distancing is now affecting our transportation and how we want to keep humans away from each other, or at least some, some amount of distance away from each other is now affecting how we might get from to and from places. 
Yeah, exactly. So I'm getting back to your two pillars and your your sub thirty market that you've you've kind of identified as your sweet spot for Easy Mile. Um, that does suggest that there are different business models, different niches uh, in the space uh, that might be impacted differently. Am I seeing that right at all, or am I missing something? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, there there are there's definitely different business models and how to achieve a business in autonomous vehicles. I think we're a software company, so our our focus has been to put our software on existing vehicle types, and those would be distributed the same way that the existing non-autonomous vehicles would be. In our business model, I don't think there's a big change in the immediate impact because we'll still be hitting our targets in the next couple of years. The other market that you see a lot of in the autonomous space is the retail markets. You see vehicles being developed to do door-to-door service or last-mile deliveries as more of a, a retail business. And again, if they were ready today, they'd probably be a major impact on the business. But in, in reality, those are still a year or two out. So if we expect things to be back to somewhat normal in that in that year, you'll probably see a, a revival of that retail business on the AV side. Let's turn to some of the, the actual projects you have in place. I mentioned in the introductions, uh, your project in Westminster, Colorado. It sounds like it was COVID-19 related and an actual application of your software. Uh, can you tell us more about that project, how long it's been going on and how well it's going? Yeah, it was a planned 30-day project for the city of Westminster, which I just happened to live in, which is great for me. But it was around two months after everything had started to shut down, uh, so around the early part of June. And we were literally looking for a project, as was the city of Westminster, really show some innovation in how autonomous could help in the long run. In the city of Westminster, the food bank was getting a, about a five times larger demand than they initially had uh, for food deliveries or for food pickups. And so they didn't have the room to store all that food in the, in the food bank. So they were storing it actually about a mile away at a local community center that was also owned by the city. So they had to transport all the food every morning from the storage location to the food bank. And so we, we took that opportunity to use the shuttle, pile it in with food, and run it fully autonomously from the storage location to the food bank. And, and the thing that was novel about this is one is we were moving packaged goods, which is a new use case for autonomy, but we were doing it completely without a safety driver. Um, the technology is, is sort of in this place where you, you, you're autonomous, but you still have a safety driver. But there are use cases where the technology can run completely autonomous. And this is one where we were able to run that entire route with the safety driver outside watching the vehicle. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. And th- these were on public roads. It was a combination of through the parking lots, across public roads, and then back into the food bank. Any challenges that appeared during that project that maybe came out of the blue that no one really anticipated? Nope. I think we know where the limitations of the technology were. There was one day that it rained uh, pretty heavily, so we, we weren't able to operate, but we knew that's part of our, our limitations on the technology. But otherwise, things went really smoothly. The city of Westminster was quite supportive and amazing on having all of the right staff available when we needed to have it done. That's great. How was the response from, sounds like the city was happy about it, but how was the response from maybe the average Joe and Joanne citizen? It was good for the state of Colorado. It was good for the city of Westminster to have this as a future part of the transportation system of Westminster. So it was definitely a stepping stone to the future. I know the team that was helping us from the city was glad to get out of the home for a few days to be a part of it. So that I think was a, just a nice Part of the uh, the project was just to get people back together a little bit after the, the three-month lockdown. Overall, it was quite positive. Sure, it turned a, a few heads as people saw this vehicle going around. That's all uh, very interesting about Westminster, Colorado. I, I understand that you've got a different project in Monheim, Germany. Can you walk us through that? 
Sure. So Monheim in Germany is probably our largest operation today, and it really mimics what the closest to real service might look like. Uh, it runs 14 hours a day. There's five vehicles on the route. It's about a three-mile loop around the city center. There's a number of stations where people can use the transportation uh, to get around. And it kind of also goes back to showing how, how supportive the, the German government is, and they really put a lot of interest in, in making how viable is the technology in, in that area. We do a lot of last-mile connectivity that are supported by the government. And Germany has been one of those countries that has been extremely supportive in, in driving AV technology. They've also been probably the first in the world to really create standards around deploying of AVs. So being able to get through their, their requirement through the tube is quite significant. And so EasyMile is one of the companies that was able to do that. And we have almost 30 vehicles in Germany. Uh, that's impressive. It sounds from the two projects you've described that Germany, maybe even Europe more generally, is somewhat more advanced in its deployment of autonomous solutions in public environments. Am I seeing that right? Or is it more even the U.S. compared to Europe? It's a good, interesting discussion on where the technology would go faster in this space with the shuttles, the short distance travel. So in, in general, Europe, the cities are a lot more dense. Um, you have a lot more dependency on public transit. So you could see growth in that space for AVs to be much faster than the U.S., where we're a lot more spread out. However, you also have the challenge with the, the roads, though, being older and a bit probably less conducive for even cars. So for AVs to be a part of that creates some, um, some additional challenges. I will say, though, from the, from the federal level, I mean, you have every country is different, so they all have their own initiatives on AV. So in theory or in, in reality, you're seeing a lot more growth in the Europe in this space because each country is putting their investment into that versus one country like the U.S. putting their investment into it. So, And I think Germany has been a leader of the Nordics. We've seen a lot of growth. France itself has done a lot of really good projects. So we are seeing quite a bit coming out of Europe. Interesting. Well, let's, let's turn back to Easy Miles uh, technology. What differentiates it uh, in the space? I know you've, you're focusing on that particular niche, the under 30 mile per hour segment. Can you highlight some things for us about what it is about the technology or software that makes it at least unique, if not better? Well, one thing that we've done is we're, although we're only six years old, that's quite a mature company when it comes to this industry. We're on our third generation of technology. So we've made a lot of growth from our first vehicle, where in comparison to the rest of the market, they're still maybe on the earlier stages. We're already well past that learning and, and made some of the adjustments. So we're, we've been doing live environments. We've been doing real miles on the road. So our technology is really advancing faster uh, when it comes to this market. We're doing fully driverless. We're going to be quite advanced in the weather space in the next six months. We have a lot of really interesting um, areas where we're advanced on, on that commercial side. And I think that the other piece is, which is really important, is that we've taken a huge approach to safety. And there's two things that I think are very visible in our safety standards. And one is that we don't allow for high-speed manual driving of a vehicle. You kind of wonder, uh, well, it's an autonomous vehicle. Why is manual driving that important? But, but it is because you have to be able to reposition the vehicle and you need to take over on, on unexpected areas. And we've kept the speed extremely low on the manual. Um, if the vehicle is not designed to be driven like a car. So we need to keep that at a very low rate. And then our redundancy on all of our systems is, is very high, whether it's obstacle detection, whether it's localization or navigation, we have redundancy across the board because uh, we're really focusing our technology to be at the same level of uh, any other car on the road. So we have to have a significant amount of redundancy on that. And that's why our speeds are still in the 12 to 15 mile an hour range, because we're, we're so much more focused on the safety of fully driverless technology than, than getting the speeds up to higher level. 
That's impressive. And so a couple of questions out of that. One, you mentioned the weather space. What's that? Right now, the way the technology is, and this is not just us, but in general, a, a LIDAR, which is the major technology around autonomous vehicles, has a limited way that they read the environment. So it's up to the computers and additional components to decide what the LIDARs are seeing to make the right decisions. And so I would say like on our first generation, a raindrop or a snowflake is really essentially seen the same way as a car. You know, it's, it's seen as an obstacle. Whereas when you start to include cameras and radar and other types of LIDAR, you can start to make better decisions and in what we call object segmentation and to decide what is it the vehicle actually seeing. So if it's seeing a raindrop, then it says, okay, we can continue. But if it's seeing a car, then it has to make a decision not to, not to do that. So wet weather is definitely a challenge in, in all AV, and there's going to be different growth levels as the technology improves. But it, it really needs a combination of different cameras and sensors and, and LIDARs uh, to be able to compute what, what it's doing. And then there's still things like fog and, and high dust storms that are probably going to be a challenge for, for a bit longer. Sounds like you're building your systems uh, for your local environment in Colorado <laughs> pretty well. Yeah, we're one of the ideal environments to test, I guess. We, do, we have every level of weather. And, and this week, we had every level of weather. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, highs of 101 Fahrenheit to seven inches of snow, something I heard. That's right. Pretty incredible. Uh, and for vehicles to drive through all of that is, is even more impressive. And it makes sense that you would start with a vehicle that's moving more modestly. Certainly the sub 30 mile per hour market that you've been talking about. It, do you see kind of off in the future that Easy Mile will be kind of breaking those barriers at some point? Or are you really just going to be focusing on the sub 30 MPH for now? The interesting thing about technology is uh, there's a big unknown on what the cost of the sensors and the computers and things like that will be in the future. So it's really a balance between speed and cost. You can load up your vehicle with ten or fifteen, thirty thousand dollar lidars, but then the product is not commercially viable. You can't really put a million dollar twelve passenger vehicle on the road. It doesn't make sense in the long run. So if we, if the market stays the where it's at and the sensors at that level, then it's going to be a challenge to really make a commercial product at a much, much higher speed. So that's a big open question as the technology of the LIDARs improves. The technology and the costs decrease, then the speeds will have a chance to increase. But with that said, we, we think there's enough of a market in the space that we're in, especially for the next five years, and we're focused on really completely driverless solutions with no safety operator. There's not a real initiative to go any higher. We can tackle the majority of the problems with, I would say, even sub 20 miles an hour. That's all very interesting. And you mentioned some of the benefits of your system, the safety issues that you've been addressing and, and the redundancies that make your solution better than most. Over the course of your R&D, have you either encountered or identified either a challenge that was, in the end, bigger than you expected to be, or maybe even a challenge you never even expected to face? Yeah, I mean, in the U.S. particularly, four-way stops that we're not expected to be a challenge. But if you think about it, it's, it's very much human-driven on how you go through a four-way stop. So that's one that uh, we don't have on the roadmap being able to resolve just yet. And then I mentioned a couple of the other ones with the fog, the dust. And actually here in Denver, we get what they call sublimation, which is uh, the steam off the, the road. Those are definitely challenges that we're going to need to address. Well, that's interesting because one is technological object detection and object segmentation, as you put it. And the other one is maybe more psychological in how people drive. I've heard from others that there's some cultural distinctions there as well, as you're talking about the four-way stops in the U.S. and how some people are taught that 
the first person to get to the four-way stop is the first person to get through. In other countries, there are specific rules about the right-hand rule. In some, there are no rules at all. So I can see how a computer could have some great difficulties in trying to understand where they are and how they should handle those, those issues. Today, we're building technology all on vehicle. Um, with the increasing of the technology at intersections and at traffic lights, those kinds of problems can be addressed. So I'll just give you an example. Like the, the LIDARs that are on the vehicle have a limited range. They can go up to 80 meters. So you, you can only see certain distances and make decisions at certain distances. But if you had a smart intersection with, with much bigger systems and much bigger range, you can maybe see 300 meters out where you could see a lot the higher speed cars coming and, and tell the vehicles what to do. And so I think those types of intersections, even three-way, even in some cases two-way, will be resolved primarily with smart technology. Well, that's interesting. From my experience, from what I'm hearing in the marketplace, the general public continues to be very nervous about self-driving vehicles. Uh, you know, I think there's a segment that's wildly enthusiastic, and maybe we are counted among that group. And there are others that are, are much more nervous about having vehicles or being in a vehicle that's not driven by, by another person. It sounds like technological changes might make people more comfortable, but do you think that public perception is changing or is it still kind of in a place where the industry has a lot of challenges? Yeah, I think with the segmented, again, I'm based on the different types of, of industries. So so for us, I mean, everybody is familiar with riding at the airport trains, which are fully autonomous, and that's been, been there for years. But you don't know that because you don't see the front of the car and you have no idea if someone's driving it or not. And you just you get on the train and you go. In our environment where we're going, it's two ways. One is you're going short distance and lower speeds. I would say the adoption has been fine on our shuttles because you can see, and we have a safety operator today, but even then you're able to see it's a much more comfortable environment. Second of all, if we're also targeting in specific use cases like universities or corporate campuses where it's the same people riding every day, and we can definitely see the adoption happening over time much faster. I think if, if you're thinking about, which is probably the more publicly known is you're waiting outside your car, you're out at your house and the car picks you up and drives you 15 miles on the freeways and then back, that's a bit away from adoption. But I think in our segment where we're in the sub 20 mile, sub 30 mile an hour um, regular usage by people, I think the adoption will be much quicker once they get on it. Interesting. So you've mentioned a few of your potential or actual use cases the airport material handling, the, the university setting. We've talked about the shipment of packaged goods to the to the food kitchen. Um, can you give some other examples of kind of your sweet spot for, for the sub-30 market? It's kind of the sub-30 and, and high density. So stadiums are a great use case for moving passengers um, across the parking lots. Planned communities is another very good one. You have some of these communities that have 15,000, 20,000 homes or small cities. And they're essentially just the residents driving around from inside the community. Ports are very good. You have a lot of dedicated movements within seaports, which are a great focus for us. And then ultimately, we will be in the public transit space, even if it's the shorter distance routes. And so that's really where we'll end up. That's where the highest usage of vehicles like these are. And I see that happening within five years. It's just a matter of more of which routes make sense in that initial phases. Let's take a more global view of Easy Mile in the industry. From your vantage point, is there a particular country that is now better prepared for AVs? Focusing on this question really more in a legal or regulatory sense, from the 30 countries that you've operated in, is there one that you see is particularly better than the others or maybe best of class that we should be seeking guidance from? There's some great reports out on where the industries are headed by base on countries. I mean, Singapore definitely has taken a very good approach to AVs. You see both the tech companies and the, and the government supporting and also investing in major projects to help the industry. Uh, I mentioned Germany, France. 
And to be fair, the U.S., I think, has done a great job. We always think about our government being restrictive and not quite as open. The federal government has been extremely supportive in pressing AVs and leaving a lot up to the states. And I would say 80% of the states have taken a great approach to being very flexible, getting vehicles on the road. And using Colorado as an example, they essentially had a, the governor made a mandate or an executive order saying, here's a committee that will make the decisions. And the committee is, is made up of the Department of Revenue and Department of Transportation, um, Public Transit. So they, they've made a good approach to really helping AVs grow. And I think that's a bipartisan effort. All countries are taking a good approach towards it, including the U.S., well, that's all wonderful. Appreciate your insights on all of this. Is there any closing shot uh, that you'd like to share with us about your experience in the space, the benefits, the excitement, any other aspect of this plane revolution that's taking place in the automotive space that you'd like to share with our with our audience? Yeah, I think the the key thing is is that AVs are are getting are coming. I mean, there's no doubt the autonomous vehicles will be a part of our lifestyle in the next five years. You have some of the biggest companies and the most uh, highest market capitalization companies in the world going after this. So it's a pretty much a guarantee it's going to happen. And it's just a matter of what layer of use case will come and when. And we think that our space, especially on the material handling space, will be fully driverless really within 12 months. And a lot of use cases on the passenger side also um, starting in that 12 to 24 months. But by within five years, pretty much every use case that we are looking at will be fully driverless. And then talking about more of the door-to-door and aspect of how the cities want to approach it. I think there was a, San Francisco has, has talked about it and Helsinki is saying, okay, we're going to make our entire city uh, no man drivers. Well, if that's the case, then your technology is much closer. So today it's really a matter of the technology being able to adapt to our existing lifestyles. But if cities start to take an approach where they say, okay, we're going to, we're going to segment certain areas of our city to be fully driverless, technology is a lot sooner. There's no doubt that the it's coming and there's going to be a, a positive impact on the entire world. It's simply amazing. And certainly even in, during this pandemic time where certainly people and governments and, and local and federal are focused on so many unique issues on that side of the aisle. One, technology is still coming and it's not going to, it may slow down a bit, but it's, it's, it's still being marching forward. But two, the potential for these governments to use the current events as a mechanism to rethink how they're how they're proceeding and progressing and how they might incorporate technology uh, to address the change is all frankly wildly exciting. And I think that's the case is that if, if cities they understand now what the impact could be of AVs, they can definitely design their cities or make the changes to support that. And then the benefits would outweigh the, the disruption that's caused by doing that. Sure, this has been great. I really appreciate you joining Propel uh, today and talking us through some of these issues. I would ask that we check back on you uh, maybe in a year or so to see how things are going uh, and to walk us through the changes that you had in that 365, as well as maybe what the next 365 will entail. Yeah, I think that's a great idea considering this industry moves so fast that 365 is probably equivalent to five years in general. <laughs> so. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you again for joining. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thank you.